Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning. We're going to go back to the book of Jonah today. We looked at that a little bit a couple weeks ago. Before we do that, I want to mention something in case you haven't known. Wearing a tie today, which usually uh, is kind of not what the speakers wear here, or not quite that formal, but if you notice, this is not just any ordinary tie. If you can't see it from there, this is my Sherman and Mr. Peabody tie. And maybe, I don't know uh, if you're too young to remember the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. It had some great cast of characters. Uh, Dudley Do-Right, Sidney Whiplash, uh, Boris Badenoff, and uh, Natasha. And, you know, this was a cartoon with a whole bunch of cartoons within it. And each one of them had their different segments. And one of those segments was Mr. Peabody, or, yeah, Mr. Peabody and Sherman. And Mr. Peabody was this genius dog who had all kinds of inventions, won the Nobel Peace Prize and the various things, and in a twist, as this dog, he adopts a boy, Sherman. And to teach Sherman history, he invents what he calls the Wayback Machine. It's a time machine to go back and they view different events in history. Now, this segment was called uh, Peabody's Improbable History because it always had some weird twist and, you know, they get involved in the story somehow. But I mention all that because I wish we had a Wayback Machine. I'd like to go back in time into Scripture, and there would be lots of different um, events and things that happen that we might want to go back and just observe and kind of see all the details for ourselves. And if we had one of those, today we would be jumping back in time to look at Jonah chapter 3 and 4. You know, again, as a, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, primarily at chapter one and kind of an overview of the book. And chapter one of Jonah is the most familiar part of the story, where Jonah is thrown overboard, swallowed by a great fish, and vomited out on the land because he was running from God. But the the real crux of the book of Jonah. The real message from the book of Jonah is really in chapters 3 and 4. And we'll, we'll get to those in a minute and read through those. But, and as we do that, there's some questions I think that I hope we can answer today as we look at, at Jonah and what happens in those chapters. You know, you know, why did God want Jonah to go to Nineveh to begin with? You know, they were enemies of Israel. Yeah, why was it that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh? You know, and he was, it wasn't that he just said, well, I'd prefer not to. I mean, Jonah was vehemently opposed to going to Nineveh. He would rather die than go to Nineveh. He felt that strongly about it. Why? What happens when Jonah finally does decide to obey God and go to, Jonah, or go to uh, Nineveh and preach? And what is it 
from a story that happened almost 3,000 years ago, these events, what do they mean to us today? So if we were to travel back in time and plop into history in Jonah 3, what would the world be like at that point? There's some things about the northern kingdom of Israel, just again briefly mention these, of who's king in Israel at this time, Jeroboam II. He's described in scripture as one of the kings, as many of them were described, as someone who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They are, uh, it's a prosperous time politically and uh, financially for Israel, but it's a very dark time in the spiritual history. Some other prophets that are along the same time of Jonah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, and these prophets, if we read through those books, they are condemning the materialism of the nation of Israel, in particular the elite, because there's a great divide between the haves and the have-nots, and they were not treating people in a society very well who are on the lower rungs. It sounds maybe a little similar to our world today. And that's the nation of Israel. At this time, Assyria is uh, one of the leading, if not the dominant, empire in the world. Um, They're known for their advancements in warfare and their techniques in warfare. And I kind of tried to draw a little bit. That's kind of the area that you see the little squiggly lines up there. That's the Assyrian kingdom at their height. They're not quite there uh, at this point. Um, But Nineveh is the capital city. And um, it's described as a great city. And we'll, we'll read in chapter 4 in just a moment. We'll notice that um, the book of Jonah says that there, there, the God says to Jonah that there are 120,000 people in this city who don't know their right hand from their left hand. And there's some disagreement over exactly what that phrase means, whether um, the people were just so spiritually lost that they didn't know right from wrong, but I think, as, as many do, that that 120,000 who didn't know right from left were referring to young children who were too young to literally know right from left. And if that's the number of young children, then the population of Nineveh itself is at, you know, three, four, maybe five or six times that amount. So it's a great city. It's great in terms of the fact it's um, the capital city. It's an important city. This is kind of the, the historical background. I got a couple other, yeah, it shows a picture of uh, Nineveh there, or an artist's rendition of it. And one of the things I want to mention about the Assyrians as well in their warfare, they were extremely brutal people. When they conquered uh, a nation, they were, were not kind to the prisoners of war. They didn't take prisoners. They didn't take captives. They, they killed the people. And they didn't just kill them. They would skin them alive, literally. And they would bury them up to their neck and then stake their tongue outside their mouth. And that's if they didn't cut their head off to begin with. And another thing that just shows how sadistic they were. Sometimes they would take a, a prisoner, cut off the feet, 
cut off one arm and then shake the hand of the remaining arm while the person bled out and died. That's the cruelty that they were known for, that they were proud of. And they weren't very nice to each other as well. Um, you know, within their society, there was lots of deception, thievery, dishonesty. Nahum, another prophet around this time, describes Nineveh as a city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. So that's some of the... Um, some of the historical background that as we take our way back machine and jump to chapter three, uh, one other thing I want to mention that, um, that I find interesting, and I don't know how it really fits in and whether it gives us a, some insight into the mind of the Ninevites at the time and when Jonah shows up, but they had uh, a myth. There was a tradition that a fish, half fish, half man creature would come out of the sea and that he had appeared to them back in their history and had taught them, you know, how to build a society and, you know, given them rules for living and architecture and different things. And so this was kind of one of their uh, gods in mythology. And so they already had this. So I wonder, and it, you know, I wonder what Jonah looked like. If we had this Wayback Machine, I wonder after spending three days in the belly of a whale and then walking anywhere, you know, possibly up to over 600 miles to walk from wherever he was spit out on the beach to get to Nineveh. So he's got a three, four week, maybe six week hike to get there. So what's Jonah look like by the time he's gone through all of that and what was in their mind as they saw Jonah? So with that background, well, let's jump into our text. We're gonna, I'm going to read from uh, what's called the Amplified Bible, which takes words and expounds upon them and gives uh, some different meanings, a variety of the meanings that they can have. So beginning in Jonah 3... And it starts very much like Jonah 1, but Jonah 3, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Go to Nineveh, the great city, and declare to it the message which I am going to tell you. So Jonah went to Nineveh in accordance with the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk, about 60 miles in circumference. Then on the first day's walk, Jonah began to go through the city and he called out and said, 40 days more remain and then Nineveh will be overthrown. The people of Nineveh believed and trusted in God and they proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth in penitent mourning from the greatest even to the least of them. And when word reached the king of Nineveh of Jonah's message from God, he rose from his throne, took off his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in the dust in repentance. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, no man, animal, herd, or flock is to taste anything. They are not to eat or drink water. Both man and animal must be covered with sackcloth and everyone is to call on God earnestly and forcefully that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? 
God may turn in compassion and relent and withdraw his burning anger, his judgment, so that we will not perish. And when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God had compassion and relented concerning the disaster which he had declared that he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord. He said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still in my country? That is why I ran to Tarshish, because I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, great in loving kindness, and when sinners turn to you, you revoke the sentence of disaster against them. Therefore now, O Lord, just take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then the Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? And the Jonah went out of the city and sat east of it. And there he made himself a shelter and sat under its shade so that he could see what would happen to the city. So the Lord God prepared a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to spare him from discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the protection of the plant. But God prepared a worm and when morning dawned the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. And when the sun came up, God prepared a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he fainted, and he wished to die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry about the loss of the plant? And he said, I have a very good reason to be angry, angry enough to die. And then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 innocent persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left hand? And, yet are not, and are not yet accountable for sin, as well as many blameless animals? And then the story just ends. You know, we don't know really where Jonah goes, what happens after him. But looking at these verses, looking at the questions that I mentioned earlier, why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? And some commentators guess that Jonah feared for his reputation. You know, Jonah is mentioned in 2 Kings, and he makes a prophecy that's favorable to the king and to the nation of Israel. And at this time, that was an unusual kind of prophecy. Most of the prophets were berating the leaders of Israel and berating the nation for wandering from God. But Jonah had to be a pretty popular prophet to make a, a prophecy that the nation of Israel was going to expand and it comes true. So I think, well, maybe he was worried about his reputation because now he's going to go to the Assyrians. Why would he hang out with those people? Why would he go give them uh, a message? So maybe it was reputation. Maybe it was just fear for his life, his physical life. You know, I mean, 
thinking about how brutal the Assyrians were, and here Jonah is going to walk behind enemy lines, not just spiritually, but actual physical enemies of the nation of Israel. I mean, it might be, if we went back in history, it'd be like a a Jewish person going into Berlin and preaching against the Nazis. Or today, going to Iran or Iraq and preaching against Muhammad and Muslims. You know, I mean, it would be that kind of physical danger. So it would be pretty understandable if that's why Jonah didn't want to go. And that may have been a very real part of it. But I think chapter 4 gives us more insight into the real reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. And it had to do with Jonah's heart. You know, we might label it uh, prejudice, racism, uh, hatred, a desire for justice, a sense of vengeance. It was certainly a lack of compassion in Jonah's heart for the Ninevites. And again, we might think, well, that might be, that's pretty understandable considering their reputation and their brutality. Jonah didn't want to preach to the Ninevites because he didn't want them to have an opportunity to respond to God. That was the real reason Jonah didn't want to go. Because what we read in in chapter 4, you know, Jonah says, hey, I knew this is what was going to happen. I'd go, I'd preach, they'd repent, and you'd forgive them. And, And then where are we at, Jonah says, you know? Uh, In chapter 4, the NIV says that to Jonah, God God changing his action, his behavior toward the Ninevites, Jonah says, this is wrong. And he became angry. Angry to the point he wanted to die. He would rather die than see any Ninevite come to know God. Now, that's a pretty extreme level of prejudice. You know, the, and Jonah, the first part of chapter 4 there shows us that there's a lot more conversation probably that took place between Jonah and God that's not recorded in chapter 1, you know, but uh, we just get the bare basics in, in the scripture. But Jonah was so prejudiced against the Ninevites that he would have rather drown in the ocean, stay in the belly of the whale, die in the desert, than see them come to know God. And that's where chapter 4, I think, reveals to us the main message for us from the book of Jonah. Jonah, the book of Jonah is not about a person surviving three days in the belly of the whale. It's... um, it's not even about obey, obeying God per se. The main message of the book of Jonah is about the heart of God, and the difference between our heart, Jonah's heart, and God's heart. The story of Jonah is a story of God's compassion for all people. Jonah teaches us that God wants us to reach out to people that we don't like. God wants to save people that we don't like. God has compassion on all people. Jonah teaches us that God wants us to save people that we don't think deserve it. 
That's where Jonah was at. He didn't think the Ninevites deserved it. Let me ask you a question here, and you've probably won your, well, I don't think I consider anybody a Ninevite, but who, who would you put in that category of being a Ninevite in terms of, well, I don't know that they deserve God's mercy. You know, there are several categories of people that we might uh, somewhat put in that category. We don't want to put it so bluntly. You know, I think, well, no, but we wouldn't think that anybody should not have a chance to be saved. But there are people we put in different categories. There are people who just annoy us for various reasons. You know, and this is um, a somewhat minor one, but I think it gets us started to thinking. It's about those drivers on 56 that pass us in the no-passing zone you know, and there's three or four cars in front of us. There's nowhere for them to go. We have to slam on the brakes so they can get back in to avoid a head-on collision. Or they go on down the road and you get up to Aurora or Lawrenceburg and you're sitting beside them at the traffic light. That that putting their life and your life and other lives in danger, literal danger, and you're there at the same spot. Now, we might not think so strongly against them that we hope that they, you know, burn in the fires of hell. But we certainly would like to see them pulled over by the side of the road by a policeman now, wouldn't we? We want them to get what they deserve or what we think they deserve. And I can tell from your response, I'm not the only one who has that struggle. But there are other people in our lives who've exhausted our patience in some way or another. A little more seriously. You know, people who have used us, taken advantage of us over and over again, that we finally say, enough. We, you know, I've had that situation in my life with a uh, number of years ago. We were trying to help a young man who was, uh, had a drug problem, was caught up in a vicious cycle of, of drugs, and we were trying to help him break that cycle. And he continually stole from us. In fact, one, it was a Christmas Eve in particular that we were all at the house. The family was there. He was there. We had, uh, as when the Christmas Eve service was, I don't know, like at seven o'clock in the evening. So we had had supper and we're ready to come here. And we all leave. He makes an excuse. He says, I got to take care of something. I'll meet you there. Well, while we came, he was stealing us blind. He was stealing my grandkids' PlayStation uh, that they had gotten for Christmas and hawking it to buy drugs. And <clears throat> similar things happened <clears throat> over and over. And we continued to work with him. I took him to Indianapolis one day, and we visited several uh, rehabilitation clinics, trying to get him in, trying to get him some help. <clears throat> and most of the ones that he had picked out and he didn't have insurance, of course, so, you know, they weren't interested and they weren't going to take him. So we made another trip, a different day, and we found one that would accept him. I paid the registration fee for him and got him started, left him there, found out later that, and they're not completely clear on all the details, but he either left or got kicked out before I got back to Rising Sun. You know, and that was the last straw for me. We were done. 
But God never reaches that point with us. You know, I'm convicted by the story of Jonah and my attitude toward him. Now, there were some steps I needed to take to protect my family. But God hasn't given up on him to this day. Where are people that we put in that category that we think, well, it's over. I'm done. You know, I suspect that you may have people in your life that have pushed you to that limit. But the story of Jonah and the Ninevites, not Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the Ninevites tells us that God never reaches that point with us or anyone else. What about people that you think, that I think, you know, that they've made bad choices in their life, again, whether it's that drug addiction or some other issue, they've chosen their lifestyle, you know, they've made their, made their bed, they can lie in it, they can suffer the consequences. You know, in our society today, there's a lot of confusion about gender, and a lot of people are struggling with that, and it's hard to look at some of those people and think, how can you think that way? How can you believe that? Where are you, you know, we can put them in that category. Well, that's their choice. You know, that they're really enemies of our country, our society, our way of life. They're against Christianity. I'll put them over here where Jonah put the Ninevites. Scripture says that today is the day of salvation. You know, no matter how far off base a person may be, you know, no matter how rotten, how evil, again, think about where the Ninevites were at. This is still a day of salvation for all people. There's a story of a young lady named Sophia Garvin, and she started a ministry called Rainbow Redemption Project. Sophia was bullied and abused as a young girl. And as she grew up through teenage years, she thought if she changed her physical body and became a man, that would bring about the satisfaction and the fulfillment that she wanted in life. And at the age of 17, she started that transformation process. But she says that by, in just a few years, by age 20, she realized that she had made a tremendous mistake, that she was headed down the wrong path, and she began the physical reversal to become a female again. Through all of this process, someone led her to Christ, and now she works with those who struggle with their identity, as she did. <clears throat> I want you to listen to her quote. She says, I would definitely say that if I would have known about Jesus and what his love and spirit is capable of from a young age, from the time I was struggling with my gender, if someone had told me that Jesus could set me free from the struggles I was facing, I would have never gone down the path I went down. We need to reach these people Minister them, not ostracize, demonize them. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not in favor of drag queens getting to have story hour at the library with young children. But we need to think about every member of society, no matter where they're at, 
Be careful not to put them in the category Jonah put the Ninevites. They didn't deserve God's mercy because those people need it desperately. You know, neither of the responses that happen often in our society, either some parts of the society would say, hey, anything goes, whatever. There's all kinds of genders. There's, you know, all kinds of sexualities. There's whatever. And just accept it as normal. I don't think that's a godly response. But neither is ostracizing and condemning and shunning them and pushing them away from the gospel. That is not a godly response as well. You know, Jonah, after preaching and seeing the Ninevites repent, he goes out on the side of the hill and wants to watch and wants God to destroy his enemies. You know, he sat on that hillside overlooking Nineveh, hoping that God was going to rain down fire and brimstone like Sodom and Gomorrah and wipe them out. Jesus tells us to love our enemies and not just tolerate them, not ignore them and just letting them be, staying over out of the way. Scripture says we are to actively do good to them. We are to be mercy-minded to them. In Matthew 25, Jesus says that how we treat the least of these is how we treat him. Matthew 35, or 25, verse 35 says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison. You came to visit me. You know, it's not limited to just, limited to just the specific things that Jesus mentions there. It's Jesus saying, if someone is in need, and you help them, you've helped me. You know, because this is verse 37, the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, feed you, thirsty, give you something to drink? When did we see you sick or in prison or go visit you? And the king will reply, I truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Anyone we might want to put in that category, or, you know, we, we might not go to the extreme uh, Jonah did with the Ninevites and, you know, wanting to die rather than seeing them come to Christ. But we put them off in a category and say, well, that's somebody else's problem. Anybody, whatever their issue, we cannot put them in that kind of a category. We're quick to point the finger at other people and want God to condemn them when God says we should be extending a helping hand to them and showing them the right way. You know, we have to stand up for what is right. But we have to bring people to Jesus as well. We cannot treat them as enemies. You know, if we had this way back machine, you know, one of the things that I would want to hear was Jonah's sermon to the Ninevites. What did he really preach to them? Now, what we have in record, recorded in Scripture in English, it's just eight words. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In the Hebrew language, it's down to five words. And I can't believe that Jonah walked around and just shouted to the people those five words. Maybe that's what it was, but I suspect that there was more to the message. 
you know, we know from Scripture there was more to the conversation between God and Jonah that's not recorded. And Jonah chapter 3 says, when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time, God says, go and proclaim the message I will give you. What was in all of that message? I, you know, whatever it was, it got people's attention. The Ninevites took notice and acted. They repented. There was genuine conversion, genuine repentance in their life, you know. What was that message? It had to include God's love and mercy as well as that impending judgment. Now, few of us probably have as dramatic a conversion story as Jonah. You know, we don't have an exciting tale of being rescued from the belly of a great fish. Some of us, most of us maybe here today, grew up in Christian homes and never ran from God, at least the way Jonah did. But some of you maybe do have a little um, more dramatic story of recovering some from addiction or abuse or other difficulties. Some of you have wandered far from God like the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter. But you know, whatever our background, wherever we're at in our spiritual journey at this point, if we've accepted Christ, God has given us a message. A message not just of God's love and forgiveness in general, but a specific message of how that's been applied to our lives, to your life. I wonder if that's not what Jonah preached about how God saved him from the belly of that great fish and how God brought, how God's mercy and forgiveness gave Jonah a second chance to come and share that message with them. That is a message that each of us have. We are called to go and share the message that God has compassion on people. God loves and wants to forgive. You know, why did God want to send Jonah to Nineveh to begin with? You know, God didn't change his mind toward the people of Nineveh. God changed his action toward them based on their repentance, but God never changed his heart toward the people of Nineveh. God always wanted the people of Nineveh to be saved. That's why he sent Jonah to begin with. That was God's hope and plan to begin with, to save the people of Nineveh. He always wanted that for them. He sent Jonah to give them an opportunity to repent. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. Jonah is an illustration of that verse. That verse is true for us today. God has had patience with us. We know God's mercy in our lives. How do we share that now with others? You know, the Ninevites believed the message and showed genuine repentance. You know, Jonah was reluctant every step of the way. 
He didn't want to go to Tarshish, but everybody Jonah came into contact, God used Jonah to bring them to him. Whether the sailors on the boat, whether the Ninevites, God used Jonah to bring people to him. So my question for you today is, where's your heart? Remember, you and I are Jonah. At some phase in that story, we fit. Is our heart more like Jonah's, deciding who's worthy to receive God's love? Or is our heart more like God's, reaching out to everyone? Now, where is your heart today? Whether you're somewhere in that continuum of where Jonah was at, maybe you're in the camp today of the Ninevites. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or more, or you're still searching, you're still needing to accept Christ. Wherever we are at in that continuum, every one of us are really in the very same spot in need of God's mercy. Every day, we are all in the same position. How will we use that to share the message with others? You know, Jonah's message included the reality that a judgment day was coming. The scripture says, today is the day of salvation. Today is the opportunity to respond as the Ninevites did, and to receive mercy. Today, we need to search our hearts. Where do we stand before God? Whether we've received Christ years and years ago, or that we need to accept him today. God's heart toward us is to give us mercy and compassion and forgiveness. And that is the heart that we are to take to the world. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we do thank you for the mercy and forgiveness that you've given us and that we have through Christ. Forgive us when we fall short of sharing that same love and forgiveness with others. Help us, Father, to renew our commitment to you to be salt and light in this world and to point people to you. And if there are those today who are needing to accept Christ, may this be an opportunity in this time that they would take advantage of. Again, we thank you for all that you give us through Christ, and in his name that I pray, amen. And if you'd like to speak at the end of the service, I'll be back at the back, or there'll be other leaders, others who'd be glad to talk to you if you want to know more about accepting God's mercy and love. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day.